0: Hello, it's Sage, and I'm glad you're here. We're getting close to the end of season two of the ESII podcast. It has been an amazing journey, and before the season ends, we want to replay some of our favorites so far. Adrian, Mia, and I each sat down and picked out a favorite episode we'd like you to listen to again. This week, it's my turn, and I've chosen Devotion, Strategy, and Rigor with Sindolo Diamina from season one. I love this episode because Sindolo takes us on a journey that helps us think about the relationship between devotion and discipline and how devotion offers us a deeper-seated place from which we can operate as we work for change in the world. As a cultural worker, I loved it, and I took so many notes, and I'm sure you will, too. I hope you enjoyed. it if you haven't heard it. And if you have already heard it, savor it again. It's really good. So
1: I think a lot of our strategy work and our political work at its core comes from lived experiences of exceeding what we were told the present could be. And then having the courage to take the risk to say, we think we could actually lead the vast majority.
2: Hello listeners and welcome back to the Emergent Strategy podcast hosted by the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. We are a collective of facilitators, mediators, trainers and curious human beings interested in how we get in right relationship with change. Today I will be guiding our interview. I am Adrian, teacher, facilitator, mediator and writer with ESII. And as a reminder, Emergent Strategy is the way we regenerate and reshape complex systems and patterns with relatively simple interactions. And I'm very, very, very excited about our guest today. Um, we have Sindolo on the ones and the twos. And Sandolo and I have known each other, it's been a minute, it's been a minute, um, through many... I was like, I don't know why that old gospel through many trials and tri- anyway, Um, so <laughs> like it feels like an old southern love um, that we yes. have between between us. And I'll say, I first encountered you through Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity, and mm-hmm. um, so my first experiences with you were who is this young, brilliant, embodied being? Um, I don't understand how you already know all these things about being in your body um, that I've been trying to learn for decades. <laughs> and then every interaction I had with you was, oh, you already know everything about the political landscape. You already know everything about the world. <laughs> like you you are really um, a gifted, gifted, gifted being, and also very magical, very beautiful, at the aesthetic level, but at the spirit level. Um, And I wanted, I wanted to also name You're one of the people who most intimidates me at the level of mind, right? That I'm like, Mm. the way you study, the way you engage scholarship and the self-possession you have around what you're thinking and how you're thinking feels so important to me as a gift to black people, as a gift to all people who are trying to create change in the world. So that's who you are to me. I wanted to know if you were to explain yourself to people, what feel like the key things you would offer up?
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, coming off that super sweet intro, I'm just like, I (laughs) actually do think that first my, my relationship and our relationship, you know, um, I actually think is, uh, shaping and defining for me that, uh, I remember meeting in bold space and, uh, being, uh, stirred and provoked and encouraged and seduced um, <laughs> by the full range of kind of like your presence. And I think that's both been an important thing in my life and my development. And I think says something about me as well that I'm like, those are the things I look for in the world. <laughs> There's so many things that you carry. Yes, yes you're right?
2: like, stir me up. <laughs> um, yes.
1: And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think uh, just this morning, I was, I was reflecting on how I want to talk about uh, my calling um, and yes. thinking about myself as an abolitionist researcher and innovator is something that's been like stirring mm. mm-hmm. um, I mm-hmm. love to nerd out about things do super deep dives um, and think about research in this like how do we put our bodies and our souls into something and let the experience of being in there ask and answer questions, right? So I want to dive into all these readings and books and pieces of history. Um, And then I want to actually try out ideas that come from that in my political practice. Yes. Um, And that should feel like there's more agency that comes out of it. That should lead to people having ahas and breakthroughs and sighs of relief and Uh, for us to actually win victories. Like that's the kind of research that I'm interested in. And though I am sometimes uh, seduced by the idea of invention, I've been playing with this piece about innovation because uh, yeah, I just uh, like much of what you share in the world. And I think some of the best wisdom, like there's very little that we invent. So much of what we have is just like what's been passed on. And there's this real question of like, how do we make that available for new uh, communities or spaces or uh, in new ways? And that kind of piece about like, how do we take the long lineage of people who have said, uh, we're gonna go for freedom right now? That's what I'm
2: into. Yes, yes something I wanna unveil to people is inside of the bold community, um, we give each other names. We give each other names and the names are kind of essentialist names about how we show up in space. And my name is Sister Cosmic Love Mm -hmm. and Sindolo's name is Brother Rigger Fetish. And I feel like (laughs) that is (laughs) one of your names, one of our names, Um, but I feel like that is you know if I think of an infinity symbol of our energies right Mm -hmm. there is this this piece around like love is there in both of us rigor is actually there in both of us but Mm -hmm. in terms of how they you know what takes the center stage or the front line of how we practice um and so that kind of brings me into the emergent strategy conversation. Is one of the one of my favorite of the elements of emergent strategy, which is a six way tie. One of my favorite is the one around non linearity and iteration, mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. at the essence of it is we are what we practice, we are what we do over and over and repeat and learn and iterate, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that then adaptations. Intentional adaptations come from what we choose to iterate, what we choose Mm -hmm. to practice. So there's this dance between those. And, you know, from the ESII team, we see you as an adaptation and iteration queen, right? That you are just like, that is one of the places where you shine. And um, so that we see you as an emergent strategist. And I wonder, do you accept that premise? Does that resonate for you?
1: Well, as you know, I'm always like, let's talk more. What are these distinctions? Let's be rigorous. Exactly, um,
2: exactly. Yeah. That's why I was like, tell me. <laughs> um,
1: I think the places where I'm really clear that things do line up for me is, uh, I remember reading your book and just like, I love the, the nature piece um, and looking at nature as a mm-hmm. uh, model, as inspiration uh, has always, always resonated with me. And I think that aspect uh, and the piece that you're naming here around iteration really does resonate. I think there's also uh, a generative tension for me, um, which I think is part of that infinity symbol that we've been in, where uh, the the piece about linear and what gets put out as linear, there are pieces from more uh, dominant frames of doing strategy. You know, I have like some set of corporate strategy books over here and military strategy books over there, and that are important Mm -hmm. elements or ingredients Mm -hmm. in how I do strategy. I don't see myself as being limited by those things, but those feel important to me. And I didn't read your text as like excluding those things, but starting from a different emphasis. So I don't know, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. You know, one of the things I think about is there are cycles and there is timeline Mm -hmm. and there are ways that our iterations build up. So, you know, you're not going Mm -hmm. to harvest something that you did not first seed, right? Like there's a, there are ways that it's like, oh, there's there's a dynamic or a timeline of a, a way that a relationship unfolds. And I think that's particularly true with strategy that, you know, we don't end up with the uprisings that we've had this year, if we haven't seeded in concepts of abolition, mm-hmm. concepts mm-hmm. of Black Lives Matter and concepts, right? And seeding, and then I think organizing is the, the tending of the garden right, is paying attention to the garden, paying attention to what is vibrant, what is bringing life, what is not. Um, So I think there's that, you know, I've really been wrestling Mm. with this in relationship to mortality as well, that I'm like, there's the non-linearity of life. And I'm also directly on a path towards my own death. And we all are on a path towards our own death.
0: Mm -hmm. And we
2: will not Mm -hmm. turn back away from that, right. Um, So there's non-linearity. And it's also this other piece is also true and I I think that that's why complexity sciences appeal to me um, so deeply is I'm like and I think this is one of the the concepts inside of somatics that has always been the most like you said stirring the the most stirring for me is that the, right. the the contradictions practice that it's like mm-hmm. there are multiple mm-hmm. things that are true at once mm-hmm. that's how our world is constructed and whether we suffer or whether we can harness that and advance is based on how much we can open our minds to consider mm-hmm. the the contending mm-hmm. realities as both possible within us and so to me emergent strategy yeah. is my way of practicing that all the time is like how can mm-hmm. i get broader because we are nature Right. So it's like, oh, we're looking at birds, but also we, we have every aspect of nature also present within, Mm -hmm. within our own systems and structures. So yes, to what you're saying, I feel that. And, and I think about that. I'm like, you are the person I know who fucks the most with, you know, what I think of as traditional and linear strategy, um, and dances with it and says, we need to consider this. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. of that also as what scholarship looks like. And, Octavia Butler said that, you know, like you need to use what exists and understand it so you don't repeat it and so that you can shape God, so you can shape what's coming. And so, yeah, I rely on you. (laughs) I rely on you and Jomo and others. I'm like, can y'all just read the books and tell me, (laughs) translate for me, you know, help me understand, right? Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, I think that's the, that's the gift, right? That like, our different folks are absorbing and, and innovating and translating these different pieces, and being in conversation with each other makes what we've taken in different exactly. than when it came exactly. in, right? Um,
2: exactly. It's like the collective process. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And that like that's what scholarship is. and rigorous thought yes. is, right? It's not like somebody sitting in their room by themselves even when I'm just physically present uh, with myself, like you are there in my reflections and thoughts, right? Like so many folks are present as we're thinking, we think collectively, That's, that's just what happens.
2: That's right. So, okay, so I wanna, this is what always happens when I start talking with you, which mm-hmm. is I'm like, oh, we dive straight to the deep end, which is where is you can do flips. <laughs> and it's right? just like the most fun. Um, but I want to back up a little and just ask you, you know, you are someone who is deeply committed to creating change mm-hmm. in the world. And one of the things I've been noticing this year with the pandemic is I'm like, oh, there's a lot of people who are just not thinking about changing the world and they're not thinking about themselves as, factors of whether things go one way or the other, right? Mm. I'm like, it actually is a really unique quality that I wanna proliferate. Um, It's like, how do we get more people to think of themselves as responsible for changing the conditions of the world? So I wanted to ask you when and how did you realize you wanted to change the conditions around you?
1: I don't know if I could trace back to one time What's bubbling up for me is one moment, I guess, uh, was the the coming out process for me. And, you know, before that, I grew up in in Michigan, but yeah, I I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in a family and in a community uh, that was very insistent on uh, surviving and thriving despite, the white supremacist country that we're in. Um, I grew up in a really powerful Afrocentric community. I don't think though I took on this sense of like, I both have a calling and I feel a sense of agency in transforming fundamental Mm. conditions until I was really wrestling with what I believe to be kind of foundational or core for myself. And for me, that's really what the coming out process was about, it wasn't primarily like, I need to tell these people or those people about mm. my sexual practices or gender identity. Those things were were kind of gates into really wrestling with are the kind of like social conventions about who is worthy. Like those things that were taught to me by people who I love deeply. Are those the most important thing to yeah. me? Or are these somewhat unexplored, unexplained, but incredibly deep longings, wonders, senses of awe and attraction um, and expression. Do those feel more fundamental to me in making decisions about the world and
2: Uh wrestling through Uh that and
1: coming to like, actually, there's this fundamental experience of wonder there's this fundamental experience of like aliveness moving through me. That's actually the like core thing that I want to build my life around. And,
2: Mm. you know,
1: that's reading Audre Lorde and Essex Hemphill, that's uh, reading Abraham Heschel. And from there, once I said yes to that, it's like, well, you say yes to that. And then part Mm. of it is just like wonder wants to to move into creativity. Abraham Heschel talks about- wonder is the experience of being called right Mm. and once you're called uh you have this sense of of wanting and needing to move in the world and the agency kind of comes along Mm. with the wonder that you're like how can i live in a world so incredible so prolific so miraculous how can i feel that in me And you know, people to be old and Southern about it, right? Like it makes you want to shout. It makes you want to take action. It makes you want to do something. Mm. And that to me is the the creative and energizing force behind strategy and behind organizing and political work that actually it's not first that I figured out the method and the practices and the steps. It's first this kind of like uh, unbound wonder wakes itself up um and by following that I was like okay now I got to figure out how do I make more space for more of that and more people if that could unleash all that for me what would it look like to create families and social structures and culture that does that for all of us
2: That's right. You know, when I think of you in leadership, it's, I remember uh, one of the first times I ever saw you in front of a room and it's, it's crystal clear as if it just happened. It's you're wearing a long white skirt. You've got your beard, you're wearing like a tank top type thing and you are leading us in the martial art of the Joe. And what I remember noticing is you at the front of the room and all of these cis straight men (laughs) following your leadership and women and everyone else, but following your leadership and with, with no hesitation, with no anything, right? It was just like, there's wonder and leadership and power in that body. And we can all learn from that. And it was one of the first times that I remember being in the space where I was like, this, if I step back and put my analytical mind on, I'm like, oh my God, this is like, so me, ma- this is like this gender queer, you know, like this whole uh-huh. thing was going on. Uh huh. But, but it was like, I would have had to step back out of the wonder of what was happening in order to apply all that analytical categorization to mm. it. And, Uh, And I found I didn't even want to do that stepping back into that. I was like, we're already in the future in this moment. And let's not go back and like try to categorize it through a past lens. Let's just be here and then continue moving forward, Mm
0: -hmm. which I
2: think is an invitation that you make regularly is an unapologetic embodiment inside of your wonder, inside of your curiosity, inside of your like this, we could do this, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. we could think about this. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like that. Which I deeply believe is the way people are drawn to the future is not through being asked to put it into words but being asked to put it into body and to feel that feel it in body. Mm-hmm. So, then mm-hmm. I think that I wonder about this is that did it take or has it ever felt like you had to apply rigor to that wonder to that wondrous space and Um, And basically I wanna know what is the dance between rigor and this way that you create change or be in change?
1: Oh, I love it, I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I mean, this is another sea of things that I think I really got to explore uh, at uh, Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity. And uh, I remember there was a training for directors that we were doing where this piece, oh no, I remember what it was. I, I was practicing, and I was listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire, and they—I uh, was listening to Devotion, mm. and this clarity just really emerged that like uh, more devotion, less discipline. Mm. And you know, I got very, very good at discipline, um, and I think it's a—it's a useful. Uh, tool in the tool belt. Mm-hmm. But I think it's better thought of like a scalpel mm-hmm. that, you know, you don't really want to be trying to cut your food or <laughs> cut down a tree or, you know, like people right. walking through the world it's using a very this precise very precise tool. and delicate instrument, right? The amount nice. of quote unquote willpower that we have is mercifully, thankfully, limited, right? Um, yeah. And that actually yeah. um, a lot of the stuff that has resonated for me is that pleasure, satisfaction, joy are actually the experience of multiple parts of our complex selves harmonizing with each other. That's why we enjoy them.
2: Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm.
1: the body wants to integrate and wants to harmonize. And so when we start bringing those things in, we experience a sense of satisfaction. It's like those aha moments that you get where yes. things make sense. And literally our bodies yeah. experience pleasure and joy because something has just been integrated. And instead yes. of running two systems that are in conflict with each other, that contradiction yes. gets uh, harmonized into yes. a generative tension and we experience pleasure yes. from that. So. To me, I've been really in this place of like, where is it that our devotion uh, goes deep and Mm -hmm. allows us to keep returning again and again? And in my meditation practice, that's also been deepening because the more I fall in love with and enjoy the breath, the more interesting it gets. There's all of these places to go and sitting for longer and longer periods of time doesn't take discipline it emerges as this thing that I'm curious about, where I do think it comes into questions about offerings or I think another way to think about it sometimes is sacrifice or choice, is uh, devotion to something means we're not doing something Mm -hmm. else. And I think getting really clear about
2: Mm -hmm.
1: as I'm falling in love with this practice, this calling, a relationship, whatever, a political project. That's right. Is what I want to do with the life that I have is to devote it to that.
2: I love that. And, you know, I've been returning to my yoga practice um, and uh, which means it requires, like when I wake up in the morning, having my phone in a different location, like a different room for me, and going to the bathroom and then laying out my mat and getting on the mat and letting my body guide me through the sun salutations and the warrior and everything. And it requires that I not enter into the social realm um, until I've entered into the body. And I love the way it feels when I have that approach to it, that it's not like, oh, I got to stretch. You know, it's like, No, it's like, oh my God, let me feel like what's happening with my hips right now. Like, are they open? Are they closed? Are they resistant? What can breath do here? Um, And, you know, whenever I enter into my yoga practice again, because I'm definitely an on and off, you know, I like dibble dabble around in my practices. um, And But but when I land in them, I'm like, oh, this is the one for right now. This is the right one. Um, And I realize everything is practice like when i'm in when i'm in that place i'm like everything is practice everything is mindfulness every single thing i'm doing is a choice and then i start to notice throughout the day what are my what am i doing you know oh i'm also practicing intermittent fasting and i'm also practicing listening a certain way and i'm also practicing walking you know really feeling my heel and the ball of my foot and my toes and so on and so forth so i wanted to ask you as much as you want to share with us, what are your practices currently?
1: Um, well, uh, I'm currently nerding out um, in my sitting meditation practice. I'm so into yes. it
0: right now. <laughs> um, yes. Uh,
1: yes. Uh, it is just, I'm in this deep exploration of uh, the breath. And um, like your yoga practice, it's what I do uh, first thing in the morning. I get up, um, and yeah. uh, I go to my practice room and I sit down and set some intentions, uh, for the practice. Um, and then yeah. progressively kind of like, uh, the way I have been exploring it, um, is each practice is an inquiry. It's not a repetition. It's not a, I, okay. I've even been light on using That's the word great. practice. Cause sometimes I can trick myself into <laughs> old shapes, um, and been really approaching it as like.
2: Yes. Every session yes. is
1: an inquiry and an experiment. And I set a set of questions. Girl, mm. it's so good.
2: Teach me. Um, I love that.
1: I have some goals where I'm like, okay, my I goal is 25 <laughs> minutes. Um, uh, and right now mm-hmm. I'm really in exploration of posture. And so I set a, an intention of being like, I want right. to be able to sit for this full 25 minutes without changing my posture. And so what that means is when I set up my mm-hmm. posture, I'm essentially setting a hypothesis. I think this posture can hold. And at the end of that's my right. practice, I'll learn something. That's right. It does or it doesn't. It I'm does like, oh girl, doesn't. my thigh is throbbing. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. that one didn't work. And yep. Yep. Uh, that's great. So I set an intention that way. Um, and then there's just been this lovely kind of like elaboration of sitting practice for me where I start out with uh, scanning what senses are able to feel the world around me and then intentionally entrusting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those sensations to my body rather than my focused attention and practicing letting my focused attention let go of trying to track everything and being like oh i can actually really trust this like this keeps me alive yes, when i'm driving exactly. like This keeps me from peeing on myself in bed. (laughs) Like I wake up, this whole system takes care of all the things and I can totally trust it to take care Mm -hmm. of my surroundings. From there I move to a like, okay, now I'm gonna scan in body Mm -hmm. sensations. And be like, okay, I'm gonna let the body sensations go and be in the space of a broad body awareness and progressively into just following okay. the breath. So that's been one of my core, core, core practices, mm-hmm. and it's connected um, to what I think most people talk about is time management practices, but for me is just an extension of attention and mindfulness of choosing what gets my attention
2: I call this attention liberation. Attention liberation—that it's like I'm not, I'm not um, attending to what capitalism wants me to attend to mm-hmm. in terms of urgency mm-hmm. or consumerism. Yep, I am attending yep. to nurture and um, center, and creation and revolution. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I love that. And so then my day gets shaped by that, right? Each day can be shaped so differently if, you're, if your attention is something that you're choosing where it goes. I love that. I love that. So you, um, in addition to being, you know, this embodiment teacher and, and leader and and someone who a lot of us really look to as like, oh yeah, I can learn off of that body. Um, you're also a, a really brilliant strategist and have been, um, you know, you moved from Michigan, maybe, did you go from Michigan directly to North Carolina, to Durham?
1: I was in New York city okay. before I moved to North Carolina. All right.
2: So you, you dipped into New York. You, we all have to live in New York city at least once. So good, you know, you know mm-hmm. done. And, but now you're in, in Durham. And yes. Um, so I really want to, give our listeners and myself a chance to more deeply understand what y'all have been up to in your experiments with the local government. (laughs) And I have been following and admiring from a distance. Um, but, you know, I've had these questions, like how does a black queer gender playful human end up on the school board in the same state that won't allow trans people to pee in the Target? Uh-huh. Like,
0: in, <laughs> Indeed. you know, like,
2: I'm just like, wait, how, 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 how? And I feel like you've been moving both as an individual into the political game, and out of the, you know, like, navigating, like, where where do I stand in this? And also, in community, really shifting some, some ways that, you know, uh, y'all are moving local politic. So I wanted to know what are the strategies? What are the visions at play mm. right now for y'all in Durham?
1: Yeah. Let me see if I can tie this to what we've been talking about around like devotion and iteration. I would love
2: that. Yeah. I'm like, there's a devotion in the Carolina Federation, right? There's like something up, like what's happening?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, so I moved to North Carolina in, uh, 2007. And mm-hmm. uh, then I moved to Durham uh, in 2008. Uh, I was actually brought here by Audrey Lorde. I was writing somebody an angry email and needed to quote her. And uh, the quote actually, because I was too in it to get up, I looked it up online <laughs> and it took me to the website for Southerners on New Ground. How
2: beautiful. So,
1: Yes, and SONG does uh, LGBTQ-centered organizing here in the South, Um, and I found the website and at that time SONG was headquartered in Durham, and I was like, I need this organization, and Mm. Paulina Hernandez and Caitlin Breedlove, literally I just went to the office and unloaded my story for like two or three hours,
2: Wow, to so those two out. brilliant beings. Wow. Yes. Oh, yes. I love them. That's awesome. Okay.
1: <laughs> and they were like, we're doing this 15th anniversary. Do you want to join? And I was like, yes. Yes. Also, can we call it a quinceañera? And like, it just oh. like, went into this whole <laughs> yeah. thing. And I say that because I think this stuff about wonder really matters because Durham wasn't the place where I thought I was gonna stay. I thought I was gonna keep moving, very connected to this gender queerness, like blackness being like, there's not really a place where I belong. I just gotta keep moving. And song helped me be like, actually you belong here. Yeah. And like that 15th anniversary was like, For me, I didn't go to prom because I was like, I'm gay as hell. I'm scared. I'm whatever. And that was my prom. You know, like we had this amazing celebration. And uh, I also met here in Durham people who are similarly uh, frustrated and fed up with constantly losing. Yeah. And a dear, dear comrade, friend, uh, and brother of mine, Brian Prophet, um, I met here and we had a uh, breakfast at Elmo's Diner and we were <laughs> like, we want to build something where the standard is actually winning. And that we ask ourselves, is what we're doing actually winning? And that's both like that's well, what we're doing really lead to the fundamental changes that we're talking about. Can we articulate a path there? And if we can't, like, what might we try? And so much of that was like, what we encountered was we had internalized something that I see in, in a lot of movement spaces where deep down, we actually have real despair that we can transform things. Deep down, we're like, this country is fucked up, always has been, always will be, and nobody's gonna listen to us. And Similar to the coming out process for me, there's been some deep wrestling with it. like, do I believe that capitalism and white supremacy are more attractive, seducting and fulfilling for a majority of people in this country? More so than I believe that queer liberation, black liberation, indigenous sovereignty, like, do I believe that those things are marginal entities? that are only capable of moving uh, Mm. people who Mm. are directly impacted by those specific things. And everything in me, everything in my life told me, no, if that were true, I would still be closeted and a little extra about telling people not to cuss. You know, like (laughs) that. That would be where I would was if that were true. And so I think a lot of our strategy work and our political work at its core comes from lived experiences of exceeding Mm -hmm. what we were told the present could be. And then having the courage to take the risk to say, we think we could actually lead the vast majority. That's right. So from that place, what would we do differently? And part of what we said we wanted to do differently was uh, we wanted to figure out how to govern and capture governing power. And uh, so, you know, we lost a pretty, well, let me say this differently. We won a campaign around eviction um, where we got, we won Mm -hmm. uh, relocation uh, resources, for uh, hundreds of families who are being evicted, but we lost the actual mm-hmm. apartment complex staying open and we lost 150 units of affordable housing. And that fight really like mm-hmm. sharpened it for me where I was like, I could do mm-hmm. housing organizing for the rest of my life. And at the end, there would be less affordable housing than there is now because the people who control government yeah. um, are undermining it.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's what pushed me to run that's right. for office and you know that's the way right. I right. experiment and figure stuff out is just jump in the deep end. So
2: that's right. There happened that's
1: to be a school board seat available, um, and uh, I sent an email to a bunch of friends in the middle of the night, and they were all like, "This is wild. <laughs> um, what are you doing?" And it actually meant we had to close the organization that I was the organizer for. Um, And uh, Denise Perry, amazing, wonderful human being, coached me through that process.
2: Our hair, Yes.
1: And, you know, I think sometimes uh, we start things or we commit to projects and then we're like, we just got to keep going. We can't end them because that would mean admitting that something didn't work or maybe we're afraid of, uh, yeah, having a story that the work didn't matter. But it was a really important yeah. move to say, actually, People's Durham, the organization, had done what it could do, and it needed to close its doors. And girl, there are some angry people. Some of our members yeah. gave it to me. Yes. And then they turned around and worked on my campaign. Yes. And that honesty of like, "Sindolo, we're a little mad right. at you because there's some right. broken promises here. And we see the vision. We're down to be in it. That was an important foundation. And that took us into running the campaign um, Which was another kind of scary but exciting moment of saying, uh, am I willing to take the risk as a queer person, as a communist, as a black person, as a person without a college degree who dropped out of college? Like, what will people say about me saying I should be a part of governing our school system?
0: Ways love, Ways love, Ways love, love, Wage love, wage love. This is for Shadiar. Dedicate this with a heavy.
2: Um, I don't think you're complete with this answer, and I want to come back and 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 get more of it. And I also want to say I'm grateful for how you speak about winning. This has been such a, a obsession of mine. Is like, how do we change what we mean by winning from dominating oppressors or dominating opposition to liberating the conditions, like actually are creating liberatory conditions where all the people can be aligned in their nurturance, their survival, their right relationship to planet and each other. I'm like, if we just keep doing the pendulum swing to me that we haven't won anything. You know, like this election, this election was like a safeguard, not a victory. And I keep thinking about that. It's like, how do we sharpen what people mean by winning? And I appreciate um, how you're speaking of it is like we, we want to win the right to govern so that we are not making demands of people who don't love us or care about us and who are actually working against us. But we want to win the right to govern and to govern well. So we're practicing fractal governance. What does it look like to, to do the school board? What does it look like to then, you know, what is it like to take city council or other things? So I appreciate all that. And I want to hear more like, you know, you were on the school board for how long? Two years, two years. And then, and what's happened since then? Cause then it didn't end there.
1: No. Um, I mean, part of it was I learned a lot about how local government worked. Um, and I learned a lot about myself in the midst of that. We had never had anybody, uh, in office before it was tremendously isolating. Um, I had to take down all my hookup apps, you know, that was oh, hard. Oh, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> like,
2: where can I put my body? <laughs> like, where okay. can I go? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> I didn't drive or have a car at the time. Like, there were just a lot of things that were challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it was I, I just realized, uh, also, it wasn't a right role for me. Yeah. Um, but I was like, we need to be in here.
0: Yes. We need
1: to elect more people. And me getting in let other people be like, oh, we could totally do this. And So we ran additional people for school board, uh, uh, but first actually we ran uh, Jillian Johnson, amazing, brilliant black woman, um, queer black woman for city council. She won, she killed Mm -hmm. it. She has been uh, doing amazing work there, Uh, has insisted on uh, uh, just a defund policy and approach um, with our police force right. here in Durham wow. um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: has moved uh, has been a part of winning a 95 million dollar affordable housing bond the largest housing bond uh, ever passed in the state of North Carolina um, yes. uh, and we got her on first she slugged it through um, for the yeah. first part of her term until we were able to win a majority on that school board uh, with Mayor Steve Shule, um Javi- Javier Caballero, um, and Charlie Reese. Um, so we were able to get a majority on the city council, um, which has had incredible, uh, made incredible differences in the lives of our people. It has also meant that our people yes. have come under attack. Jillian has been threatened by white supremacists, uh, uh-huh. have been attacked by movement people um, yeah. who, uh, for sometimes I think for mistakes Mm. um, that Jilly and our organizations have made, uh, but it's been challenging to receive the intensity of the critiques. Um, And sometimes the critiques are not because of mistakes that Jilly or our folks at Durham for All have made, um, but are actually because as we gain power, we become more of a target for a whole range of folks um, including people who we previously were like, oh, we're on the same side. Folks were like, nope, you're not, because now you have power in and of itself. Um,
2: yeah, and the way we relate to power is is like, oh, power puts you against community, um, and I think so much of it is trying trying to imagine a future in which it's power with and power with and power with. And I think um, it means, yeah, I I keep thinking about this too. I'm like, how do we break out of our comfort in power under um, locations in relationship to local governance, politicians, political practice? How do we not then only aim for power over, which we're, I think, assuming that that would feel safe. (laughs) And it's like, when you get into the power over spaces, I think you quickly see it's like, that doesn't feel safe. You have to either be abusive or something to hold this and you're under attack all the time. So I think that it's like, how do we train ourselves and in and, and our communities to be in at the smallest level practices of power with so that we build up our muscle to, to, to govern. I do, I love this vision that y'all are moving.
1: And I think It requires us, what you're saying about at all these different levels, one of the things that getting our people into office reveals is that all of us are always already wielding power.
2: Always. Mm
1: -hmm. And getting into office is another level and another layer and a level of visibility of that power.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And I really think it's the visibility that helps to reveal um, all the dynamics that show up around Mm -hmm. power. Mm -hmm. Um, in, uh, there's this meditation teacher, Tana who talks about, uh, our suffering is like a watering hole that all these different parts of ourselves gather around, but our breath can be the same thing, you know, and I think all the different aspects of our culture gather around dynamics of power and start showing themselves in these different ways. Um, and so I think running for office, being in office, being in co-governance as movement,
2: mm-hmm.
1: highlights and spotlights dynamics that maybe were uh, undisclosed to us before. So, you know, we've been, we've been building that. Uh, we won uh, a change to our district attorney. Um, the person who was in there before uh, was just not committed to using that office to actually dismantle mass incarceration. And I think before, you know, when we were running um, Satana DeBerry against him, uh, people were like, Roger's a great guy. You know, he's progressive on all these different issues. And we were like, that's fine, that's great. What we want is somebody who is explicitly about the project of dismantling mass incarceration. And that's what Satana DeBerry said she wanted to do. That's what she's been up to and deprioritizing marijuana, all these things.
2: That's right well, and that makes me think of the well and you, the Octavia Butler is always present at all times in the room and one of the quotes she says is belief mm. initiates and guides action or it does nothing. And I think about that so often with people who are like, I can espouse a progressive politic but I'm like, what are your actions mm-hmm. like what are you actually doing and how how are you actually? move from the beliefs to either keep learning or keep practicing or trying out new things. And with this abolitionist moment that we're in, I'm like, where are you practicing abolition in whatever role you're holding? But especially if you're in any kind of governance mm-hmm. role, you'd like, mm-hmm. it's your work. And how do <laughs> we not see these work. roles
1: yeah. as, you know, mm-hmm. I think too often, especially at the local level, people, uh, put out this idea of local office being managerial, like, or technical, rather yeah. than for, yeah. mm-hmm. against, or within yeah, some specific political mm-hmm. project of our times. There is nobody who's outside of some exactly. political project of our times. Right. So that's what we've been trying to do, is put people in office who are a part of um, a transformative political project in this moment. And Durham has made a lot of that possible because, yeah. Tons of reasons. Uh, We can go all the way back to Durham being a place uh, where uh, folks who uh, had been held under slavery came um, and built community. Like that in so many ways is the beginning. Um, And from there, um, uh, more and more people have been coming to Durham seeking freedom, seeking building new life. And I think that culture underlies things and the organizing over decades that folks have done, uh, I think set the groundwork for what we're up to now in Durham. And it's in a context Mm -hmm. in which as y'all know in Detroit and so many of our people in cities where the states are controlled by the Republican party, we can capture some local offices, but those are always within the constraints of an overall political system that's still held, Mm -hmm. not just by any aspect of our opposition, but by the most bloodthirsty, like vicious parts of our opposition. And so the Carolina Federation, which is our statewide project that grew out of our local project of Durham for All, um, is about building statewide political power. And yeah, our vision is doing at the state level what we've been able to do in Durham and to learn from the other parts of the state because uh, Eastern North Carolina, black majority rural counties have something to teach us about governance that we don't know in Durham. Uh, that there are folks in western north carolina um in small towns rural areas like that who have things to teach us other cities that just have different dynamics that are not durham um so we don't think we have the thing um but we do think we have this spark and this audacity and we are in conversation with people across the state and this year um Uh, all that work kind of came together in the 2020 elections. We were in uh, four different counties um, and uh, were able to do electoral work that challenged the hell out of us, strained some relationships internal to our organization, grew some capacities, won some things, lost a lot of things. Um, And I think this question of winning and what it means going back to that Mm -hmm. is really important. Um, There's both the like... Mm -hmm. What's the long-term thing that would mean final victory in some ways, right? Um, Or kind of the closing of a historic period. And then along the way, like what are the small wins? And then how do we be honest about loss? Just be real honest about it. Um, We made some wrong calls um, in this election. Uh, We ran a write-in candidate in Forsyth County. We were very excited about um, and we lost decisively and I think our people are really wrestling with that in our chapter in Forsyth. What does it mean to be a part of a community that made a shared decision? We said that we wanted to do this and we thought we could accomplish it and then we got information back from the world. Actually what we set out to do and what we had the resources for didn't match.
2: That's right and that's the you know In emergent Strategy, we talk about that, like it's never a failure, always a lesson. Mm -hmm. If you learn, if you learn, right? If you take the L, because you have to first acknowledge, it's like this, did not go how we thought it would. And now we have the opportunity to dissect and learn and transform the strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we can't acknowledge it, or especially what you're saying, if we can't acknowledge it as a collective, Right. Because I think what happens in those moments is people start to point a finger, or Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like we ultimately all signed off on this. And so we get to carry the load of learning together. So I love Mm -hmm. that. Yeah.
0: I love Mm -hmm. that. And I
2: love right now, my, my idea of winning is really about healing. Right. That it's like, we will be in a state where it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. I felt it at an individual level where I'm like, oh, like, I'm not done healing, but I have moved so far along the spectrum of my healing that it has changed fundamentally how I sleep, how I love, how I relate, how I structure my days. Mm. You know, it has given me a great peace and great pleasure. And, um, and even in, in large portions of my life, a sense of safety, that even with all these intersecting systems that want to harm mm-hmm. me, I have. I have healed my own relationship to so much of it. And so I think about that. I'm like, what would that look like on mass? How, how to create that, you know, for those who are experiencing the impact, the oppression, the weight of the harm, but also for those who are enacting it, it's like, what is it, what has to heal in your relationship Mm -hmm. to your own humanity? (laughs) The victory is on the other side of that. Right. So, um, I, and I see that come, you know, I'm like, oh, like you need to, and I think the governance is, mm-hmm. is the right place mm-hmm. for it, right? Because it's like, you need to understand yeah. what it looks like to live in a world that is governed by these people that you have not seen as human and that you have thought um, were abominations to God and all these like misunderstandings you have of what humanity is. And maybe you'll only understand it when you're in our hands. Um, so, yeah.
1: hmm I was talking with the comrades at Dream Defenders in Florida. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the comrades down there, uh, this young person uh, was like, because, you know, I'm not allowed to be in youth organizations anymore. But
2: No, you're old now. Um,
1: which I'm so ready for. I'm like, I've been trying to be an elder forever. Like,
2: I've but, been trying to be an elder since I was born. Yeah.
1: Um. But you know, I was having a conversation there because uh, one of the comrades was asking about their tension with electoral work. And they were like, I know it's necessary. I know it's important. And like, I don't think it can achieve the kind of fundamental culture change that we need to be up to. Um, and then a lot of stuff that I think is interesting actually around culture chain and elections. But what came out of that conversation for me was like, in some ways what the Carolina Federation, how I think about what the Carolina Federation is up to is it's like, uh, in the midst of pandemic times, uh, it's like, we're like, what is this virus that is attacking our body? And like, what's the antibody? What's the, uh, uh, what could we inject in that would allow us to fight that off? Now, the question of how does one live a whole resilient mm-hmm. life full of vibrancy and health is not answered by the question of what's a vaccine to this virus. I think some of the questions yeah. that you're asking about like that deep sense of victory um, speak to that, like what does it mean to live well? What does it mean to live in what right relationship? Mm-hmm. And I think some of that needs to infuse, a lot of that needs to infuse our electoral work And I think decisively defeating the capacities of right now in this moment, the right wing, this new Confederacy, defeating their ability to hold government power um, is a form of victory. Um, that is not sufficient by itself, but is a tall order. And in order to get there, I think there's a level of inviting people into that aliveness, that pleasure, that freedom uh, that you were talking about. Yeah. We can't do that. We can't win that victory without growing that. Like that's the fuel that gets us there, that grows us to the bigger we. And uh, this question of like, One of the reasons I identify with the term abolitionist, I know a lot of folks, their focus is around prisons and uh, policing. Um, For me, the historical resonance is really around like what does it really mean to break the power of a ruling class over an entire society? Yeah. Um, And that shift of black people and our allies decisively breaking a system that had been around for hundreds of years Mm. um that Mm -hmm. is one of the forms of victory Mm. that I'm I'm just really focused on um and one of the things that I'm like that's a win that is a that opens more doors for more of the healing more of the transformation and I don't think the healing waits until then it's part of how we get there
2: Right. That's right. It's part of how we get there. It's part of it's part of every step of it, you know, it's part of like where our attention is even going in these moments, because I think that there is a, there is a, you know, I think about this all the time. I'm like, there's a very righteous, vengeful attention um, that we could bring to everything. And and we would be justified to bring to everything, you know, Um, (laughs) and I'm like, yes, I think if we land there, we get, we are lost you know, we really, we, we are lost, something gets lost. And um, yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, I, we could go on and on. I was like, we may have to have a whole other conversation just about abolition and like what, you know, cause I'm like, that's what I'm sitting with all the time. It's like, what does it mean to be in a practice of abolition, at, in a healing practice of abolition at a personal and community level all the time? Um, And I think it is about attention. And so the actual last Mm -hmm. question I was gonna, I was like, I'm like, oh, I have this other question for you as we wrap up and it's about your attention and maybe it all ties in, maybe you'll tie it all in but I've been noticing online Mm -hmm. and in our Mm -hmm. little chats um, that you've been really diving into the realm of nature during this pandemic, like um, at a different level than I've seen you, you know, like just really tuning into the blooming Mm -hmm. process, tuning into what the interactions, the intersections of nature are. Um, And so I wanted to ask you, what have you learned from this closer attention to the world around you? I think
1: the thing that comes through to me that I can feel vibrating in me now is just the like, there are billions of processes and beings that are on my side at every moment. You know, this does tie all the pieces together. When I'm out in my garden and I'm like, all right, I just put uh, mulch on my garden beds, preparing them for winter. And I'm just like totally geeked out because I'm like my worm bin, I just put the, the worm droppings into the, uh, the bed and I covered it with these leaves from around the yard. And I'm like, this amazing process of decomposition is like at work. Um, And I just spent all this year eating all this food that came from what was done. So like, there's literally billions of these organisms that are like, we're out here doing our thing. And you know, white supremacy and capitalism wants us to believe that they are the most important thing going on uh, and that the whole world is against us. And I'm like, the whole world isn't against us. Like just in my yard, all of these beings are like, let me get you this good soil. Right, that like my bees are out here doing their thing, not because they're like, hey, Sindola, we exist for you, but literally them just doing what they're here in the world to do is a force Mm. in our favor. And living in a world as a black person, as a queer person, one of the lies I think that we get told is that we're not the majority? That we're this isolated group of people who needs to be afraid all the time right. because the whole world against us is against us. And what I get from being in nature all the time is a like we're with you,
2: right,
0: <laughs> all the time.
2: Same, same. I, literally, whenever someone says the word minority to me, or in some way trying to relate that word to me, my 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 soma rejects it completely. Because I'm just like, oh, no, no, no. I'm part of a majority moving towards life. And it is a minority, um, is a minority of one species on this entire very vibrant planet that is moving against life. And I am not in right. that minority. That's right. <laughs> at all. That's
1: right. At and all. there's a pleasure
2: mm-hmm. and a that. sense
1: of security and resting into mm-hmm. the vastness of this world is working for my and our life that's an amazing thing and that our intentions really can live live with and learn from all of that and you know I can bungle and bumble through all kinds of stuff and the bees and the plants and the raspberries and the all the things are like Oh, girl, what you doing over there? Like that didn't work, you know, like the, the groundhog ate up my sweet potatoes. And I was like, okay, um, <laughs> there's this thing that I really wanted to happen. And this other being was like, I wanted it to happen too, and I'm gonna eat it. Yeah, I'm um, gonna eat
2: it. I'm excited. You know? <laughs>
1: um, yes. And what is this process of like intending, having results, experiencing loss, experiencing like bounty, that I didn't yes. earn, right? Yeah. All of that, I just feel like, is this um, medicine and this detox from a, a dominant mm. culture that wants to say, you only get what you earn. You got to make everything. The world is against you. And yeah, I just think listening to nature, being in it, reveals that lie and just creates a lot of ease and pleasure for me of being like, I am totally committed to the abolition of settler capitalism. And I don't have to wait until that happens to experience the wonder and the joy of being more than that.
0: This podcast is produced by Natalie Pert. Music for the Emergent Strategy podcast is provided by Complex Movements, a Detroit based artist collective. The music provided is from the soundtrack of the performance installation Beware of the Dandelions. To support the ongoing work of ESII, make a donation at www.alliedmedia.org forward slash ESII.